Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great love. God, we thank you that um, if we will just take your word, believe it and act on it, that you'll manifest it every single time. Father, we thank you tonight for the report we've just heard about Transnistria. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true in every part of the world. To every man, every woman, every child who will simply believe what you've said. Father, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, it's important that we reach the world. It's important. If you, if you realize tonight that the world has somewhere between 7 and 8 billion people, 3 billion, over 3 billion of those people have never one time heard the name of Jesus. Never. Sounds like when Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it sounds like that's impossible. Well, that's what we've been talking about, about things that are impossible and, 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 and how, to, how to respond to those things. The text we've been using for the last three weeks or two weeks, I can't remember exactly, is out of Mark chapter 9. Uh, in this story, Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration and he, he comes down with Peter, James, and John. They come on a crowd with a crowd. His, they're trying to, the disciples are trying to cast the demon out of this boy. And uh, they can't seem to get the job done. And so they come down and they meet Jesus. And the scriptures, you know, he, it says when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration that, that he began to glow. And he was glowing. And so he came down. And when he came down, I mean, the crowd came to him. I think they picked him out of the crowd because he was probably still glowing when he came off that mountain. And uh, he said, what are, what are y'all doing? And this is my paraphrase, obviously. He said, what are y'all doing? They said, the guy says, well, you know what? Uh, my son has this demon that does all these terrible things to him. And I was trying to get your disciples to cast the demon out. And they couldn't do it. And then in verse 22, he says, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. That's an amazing statement. And that's the way a lot of Christians pray. Not those exact words, but similar to that. God, if it be your will, if you can do anything, help us. And that's what the guy says to Jesus. Jesus said, this is the Amplified Version, he says, and Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything, why, all things are possible to him that believes. When we talk about the impossible, Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. Now just think about it. We, we were saying a little bit about it at the table in there. The fact that God views us as never having sinned because of our faith in the blood of Jesus, uh, that's impossible. I mean, we, you don't view yourself that way normally. God views you as totally justified by the blood of Jesus. The thought that you and I can go to heaven when we die, that the spirit and the soul are separated from the body and we get to be be, be united with Jesus and with loved ones we've known in the past, that's impossible. I mean, how can all that happen? I mean, the thought of life after death is impossible. The thought of the rapture of the saints is impossible. I mean, think about that. When Jesus returns, and I mean thousands and thousands of people meet him in the air. Now, we know from the scripture that more people will still be here than go. But that's impossible. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll go. I mean, that's just impossible. In fact, all that we believe is impossible. <laughs> God became a man. 
the man, Jesus, died on a cross and was raised from the dead. The fact that we believe that God would heal us, that God would deliver us, that God would, would, would favor us. I mean, all of that is impossible. When I think about the Christian life, it begins with the impossible and it ends with the impossible. It's, and it's supposed to be impossible in between that God would supply the things that are impossible. Right, everything we count foundational is impossible. So the story, the guy comes down, and in one translation he says, if you can do anything. Jesus, that translation says, if I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So the question, the only real if here is not if he can do anything. The question is if I can believe. If we can believe all things are possible, we must believe that the possible, the impossible is possible because Jesus said so and because of God's power. He can do and he will do what we, if, what we, if we'll just believe. So the past couple of weeks we've looked at the fact that, that, uh, that we have a mandate. Jesus has promised us things in our lives. We have a mandate to reach the world. We have a mandate to reach even our city, our families. We need to do that. We need to believe that we can do whatever the Bible says that we can do. We need to believe that, that, that the gospel is true. And if we will preach God's word, he will confirm his word with signs following. The early church was accused of turning the world upside down. We need to be accused of turning the world right side up. And we need to do it from the inside out. We need to believe. If we're going to do the impossible, we, we established this a couple of weeks ago, we're going to have to take control. We looked at the fact that David... When he faced Goliath, he took control. Goliath had control. You all remember the story. Goliath made all the rules, and somehow they let him. And in the end, David said, huh, here's what's going to happen today. They're not going to eat our flesh. They're going to eat Philistine flesh. All those birds are. He took control. Last week, we talked about how that Elijah took authority when he challenged the prophets of Baal. And he killed all 400-something of those guys. He took authority. And so we established last week that the devil, he is a defeated foe, but he still has authority and power in the earth because people don't know that he's a defeated foe. He absolutely has authority and power over those who have not received Jesus as Lord. I mean, he has, right now, he has power over them and authority over them regarding their eternal destination. He still also has power and authority over Christians who are ignorant of their rights and their privileges in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't understand that. They're outside of the covenant, outside of their privileges. All right? The devil's defeated, but he will continue to defy God till the day he's cast into the lake of fire after the great white throne judgment. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about authority. Tonight this message is called exercising authority. We talked about taking authority last time. We're going to exercise authority tonight. So I'm going to begin in the book of Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to look in verse 7 of Joshua 10. And this is an interesting passage of scripture here. And I, I know you've read it before, but I think it, it's really good of what we're talking about. It says, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him. Now what, what had happened here is that Joshua uh, and, and, and the people of Israel, they were going to wipe everyone out. They came, they came, they destroyed Jericho, they destroyed Ai, and then these people uh, from, from, from uh, Gibeon they just say they thought, you know what? 
these people are really powerful. They're going to kill everybody in, in the way. And so they disguised themselves as people from a faraway country, and they put on worn-out shoes, and they put, put, had dried-out bread, and they had worn-out uh, saddlebags, and they came to Joshua. And the, that's where the Russians got this idea that they were telling us about. And so, so they, told, they told them, they came and they met Joshua, and they said, oh, we're from, we're from a faraway place, and, and we hear that God is with you and that you're killing everybody, and we just want to make a covenant with you. Well, the scripture says that, that the children of Israel made covenant with these people from Gibeon. It says they, they inquired not at the mouth of the Lord. Okay, they didn't ask God what to do, but they just felt sorry for these guys who traveled all this way. And so they made a covenant with them. Well, in those days, a covenant meant something. You couldn't just say, okay, we changed our mind when we found out you lied to us. So they had to keep this covenant with Gibeon. Okay, and so the king of Jerusalem, he was terrified of these guys. I mean, they'd conquered Jericho, they'd conquered Ai. And after Gibeon made league with them, he was more more afraid because they considered Gibeon a great and royal city. So he gets these four other Amorite kings together, and he goes to wipe out the Gibeonites. And so they send a message to Joshua, and that takes us to our story. Because they've got a covenant. They don't want to have a covenant, and they shouldn't have a covenant, but they do, so they're going to honor it. So, so Joshua sent it from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not be a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. Now he travels all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them to Azekah unto Makeda. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and, the, and were going down from Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah and they died. They were more which died with the hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. It's pretty cool when God fights for you here. It says, Then spake Joshua to the Lord. Now, this is, this is the part I want to see. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the, the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Stand, he said, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the mood stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, this is a story of somebody taking authority. Somebody standing in authority. Gibeon called for help. Come and help us. Israel came. Joshua and all the mighty men marched all night to get there. They fought all day, and then they fought an extra day while the sun stayed up in the sky. And these guys fought for a long time. I mean, they had to be men of might and valor. All right? That literally means they were, men of, they were powerful men of virtue and wealth is what it says. All right? In this passage, it, it shows us how to operate in authority. I mean, this is an impossible feat, obviously. I mean, Joshua commanded the sun to stand still. Now, we understand from science today that the earth is what stood still. And the sun stayed in its place. The moon stayed in its place. But Joshua commanded it to be so. He said, stay in your place. You stay right there. And he spoke to the moon and he said, you stay right there. 
Now you got to have some kind of nerve to tell the son to stay there. I mean, it's one thing to tell your dog, stay. It's a whole different thing to say to the son, stay. Joshua understood something about authority. We need to look into that. Okay, we have an enemy who's planning our demise. We've got to take action and we've got to see to him that his threat is destroyed. Joshua was a man of authority. Number one, he exercised authority because he was courageous. He was not afraid. Verse 8 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Fear them not. That was the command of God. He said, For I have delivered them into your hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Now God said, I have delivered them. It's already done, Joshua. Don't be afraid. I have. Right off the bat, God said, don't be afraid. Remember in Joshua chapter 1? Three different times. In the first nine verses, the Lord tells Joshua, have courage. Don't be afraid. Apparently, Joshua dealt a lot with that stuff. Because three different times, the Lord said, don't be afraid. And then finally, finally, the people come to Joshua and they said, you know what? If you'll have courage, we'll follow you. And so the Lord speaks to him. He says, rather, don't be afraid. Can I tell you something? You'll never operate in Bible authority if you're afraid. Fear will stop it all. Fear and faith will not cohabit together. They're opposites of one another. Now, there's a difference between the feeling of fear and submitting to fear. When the Bible says, fear not, it's saying don't submit to the feeling of fear. Joyce Meyer says it this way. She says, sometimes you just have to do it afraid. You have to do it. Even though the feeling of fear is present, you have to go ahead and do it. See, I know that that many of us have been in circumstances and situations where fear has tried to stop us, but we have done it afraid. And we've seen the hand of God move. I mean, you know, I can think of an occasion where, where I went up to this guy who was a huge guy who was obviously a drug dealer in our city and because um, I'm waiting for another guy who's in a crack house to come and go to church with me and he was huge. And I walked up to him and I, he said, what are you doing in our neighborhood? <laughs> and I said, well, I can't, well, I can't remember the guy's name. I said, I can't, I can't remember what's his name. Take him to church with me. And he said, oh. I said, you want to go to church with me? And he goes, no, I don't want to go to your church. And I said, well, can I pray for you? You got anything I need to pray about? And he said, yeah, I need to pray. He told me two or three things I need to pray about. And then this prostitute came up right behind me. She said, could you pray for me too? I said, sure, I could. So I'm praying for these people. I have my hand up on this guy. He's huge. You know, I'm praying for him, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm praying for him. Then I got finished praying for him. We went, he went back to the car. And the guy that we're picking up that was in the crack house, he said, what were you doing with those people? And I said, well, I was praying for him. He says, are you crazy? Why would you be talking to them? Well, i got to tell you something. There was a feeling of fear. I just did it afraid. It's not because I'm better than anybody else. It's just, I just did it. Sometimes that's what you do. If you're afraid, it doesn't work with authority. Faith and fear don't go together. If you're in fear, you cannot be in faith. Let me throw this out to you. If you're in worry, that is fear. And you can't be in faith. 
We must be people who are not afraid. The only way to overcome fear is with the Word of God. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If I have God's Word, faith will rise up inside of me. And faith is always manifested by the words that come out of my mouth. You can tell pretty quickly if a person is in fear or faith by the words that they say. Isn't this good so far? Faith is taking a stand on the Word no matter how you feel and in spite of what you may see. Faith is standing on the Word. Joshua, he exercised authority because he was not afraid. He exercised authority because he endured, number two. He endured. Think about it. They marched all night to get into the battle. They fought all day. And then he asked for another day of daylight. Most of us, instead of asking for more daylight, we've been asking for a break. But Joshua, he knew that he had to take the devil now. Can I just tell you something? The devil is banking on the fact that we will give up before we win. He believes, he is convinced of it, that we will not endure. What we need to understand is, because we have authority, we can outlast the devil. We can outlast what he's going to do. I mean, here's the, the devil is a persistent little cuss. I mean, he will stay and stay and stay because he thinks we're going to quit. I was thinking the other night, I was, heard, I was listening to some preacher at one point, and he was talking about the, 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 about the battle of Gog and Magog, this war that takes place just before the rapture. Well, then you read later on that there's the battle, another battle of Gog and Magog. It's called Armageddon. Then you read on further in the book of Revelation, after the, after the millennial reign of Jesus, there's another war with Gog, Gog and Magog. And it's at the, at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus in the earth. I mean, the devil keeps coming back. But we have to know that we know we know we are going to win. And we're going to stay with it until he is defeated. We can't give up. I mean... He will be defeated. In order for us to operate in authority, we've got to be enduring. Number three, Joshua exercised authority by the words that came out of his mouth. I want you to think of something here. When Joshua spoke to the sun and he spoke to the moon, he didn't even pray. He just spoke to them. He understood his authority and he commanded them. When you have authority, you need to know the will of God, you need to know the plan of God, and you know what you're supposed to do. But when you know your authority, you'd, you have to make a decree. If you think about Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. They meet the lame man. Y'all remember that story? You know, we sing a song, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. If you think about the story, the man looks on them and, and he asked him for money. Peter said, look at us. And after he said, look, after he said that, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he never prayed one prayer. Not one time did he say, dear God, please heal this man. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, when he raised the dead, he simply told them to get up. When he healed the sick, he simply told them to be well. When he calmed the storm, he didn't pray one time about calming a storm. He said, hush, 
and it stopped. Sometimes we need to understand that we have authority and we don't. We just need to speak in authority. We don't have to pray that God would do something about the devil. We just need to stop the devil with a command of faith that comes based on the word of God. Christians are too busy asking God to remove their mountains when God never instructed us to ask him to remove the mountains. He told us that if we would say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the midst of the sea and doubt not in our heart, we would have whatever we say. He said, oh God, please move my mountain." We sing a song at church. I don't want to be critical of the song. We sing, you know what? <laughs> I've studied theology a long time. And, and, and I know some things that the Bible says. And we sing this song about he's moved the mountains. Yeah. We move the mountains. I'm just going to tell you that's our job. Mm-hmm. We move the mountains. And, we're, and to, for us to pray, Jesus, please move my mountain. He's going to say, do it yourself. <laughs> it's your job. You have the authority to command the mountain to move and it will obey you. You see, we need to have that kind of faith. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Isn't that a good promise? And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice Jesus said, If we believe on him, the works that he did, we will do, and greater works than he did will we do, because he goes to the Father. What I like about this is that verse that says, ask. If we ask in his name, that he'll do it. If we ask anything in his name. The word ask is an interesting word here in the Greek language. The word ask literally means to be adamant in requesting and demanding something. He's saying, demand it. Make a demand. Many of us Christians are too nice. We're thinking that we've got to be nice to the devil. And we can't, we can't, we, we just have to ask God, please, pretty please. God is saying, make a demand on my word. Jesus isn't talking about prayer in that verse of scripture. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, whatsoever you demand in my name, that will I do. And if you demand anything in my name, I will do it. See, we're talking about the works that Jesus did. By speaking and saying and proclaiming God's word in the situation. When we exercise authority, we already know our rights. We've already been in prayer. And now we face the situation and we speak a demand of faith according to the word of God. That's what we do. Joshua exercised authority because he knew God. I love what it says. In verse 13, it says that Israel avenged themselves. But 14 says that the Lord fought for Israel. Israel avenged themselves. But the Lord fought for them. When you know who's who, you'll know what, what is his word and what works, and you'll know what you're supposed to do. I love it when it says, And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. I can hear people saying, Well, there you have it. I mean, that kind of authority can never be activated again. God just doesn't, doesn't hearken to the voice of man anymore. Well, let's be real clear about some things. Judges 13.9 says this, And God hearkened unto the voice of Manoah. He's a man, by the way. And the angel of God came again unto the woman, and she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 4. And Jehoahaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 20. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. 
When the scripture says there's never been a day like that when the Lord hearkened to the voice of man, what it's saying is there's never been a day like that when the, when, when the Lord hearkened to the voice of man when he commanded the sun to stand still for a whole day. The Lord hearkens to the voice of men. He hearkens when men are speaking what God says. I mean, Isaiah, remember, he commanded that the sundial go back 40 degrees. God hearkens to the voice of men. And I love it. This, we, we sometimes say, well, you know, it's just in God's hands. Really? Listen to this. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, ask of me things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command you me. When we know what God's hands are, what his plan is, we can command his will to be done. When my son was little, and I was training him to mow the yard, I would have my hands on the lawnmower. He would put his hands on my hands. And he commanded my hands to turn. He knew what was my will. He knew my will was to mow the yard. And he, as he's learning, he commanded my hands. And he guided the mower. The Bible says that we are to command the hands of God. We need to be people of authority. I'm not saying presuming on God and being God. I'm talking about we need to be people of God. We know what the Word says. We know what God promised us. And if He promised it in His Word, that is His will. And when we're praying prayers like, if it be thy will, we need to find out what does the Bible say. That's the will of God. And we have the authority to enforce the Word. Let me read you another verse, passage of Scripture here. This is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, 5 through 10. It says, And Jesus entered into Capernaum, and there came to him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. To another man, Come, and he cometh. To my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Verse 13 says, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed the selfsame hour. I want you to see something here. Jesus connects authority with faith. He said, I've never seen this kind of faith. The centurion said, you just, all you got to do is, sir, is speak the word and my servant will be healed. He said, I understand authority. And Jesus said, now that is faith. I've not seen that kind of faith. So the two things were connect, connected in the mind of Jesus. Let me just throw this out to you. If you don't operate in faith, you can't operate in authority. If we don't operate in faith, we can't have authority. I'm talking about the Bible kind of faith that only comes from the Bible. All right? People sometimes get, get confused that they think faith is in their denomination or something, but it's in what the Bible says. Faith is an active, we taught this before, is an active, powerful force that acts as the channel for God's grace for God's plan, God's favor to be released in every situation. It's God's grace that forces the change. All right? Here there's a supernatural connection between the centurion's understanding of authority and faith. The centurion believed the word would do the job because he understood authority. That's what believers need to learn how to figure out. 
the word will do the job because I understand the authority of the word. You realize God's word isn't my word. It's God's word. When I speak God's word in faith, believing what God said, the devil doesn't know if it's me or God talking it because it's still God's word. And if it's in faith, he doesn't know the difference. Demons don't know the difference. You see, there's a supernatural connection. I love what the Bible says in Romans 3.27. We're talking about authority, but it says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. There is a law of faith. A law of faith. It's talking about righteousness that is ours by faith. That's the context. But it talks about the law of faith. Can I tell you something? If something is a law, it works the same time, same way every time for everyone when the same principles are applied. If it is a law, the law of gravity works for everybody. Tonight we can all get on the roof and not one of us is going to jump and not hit the ground. Because the law of gravity works for everyone every time when the same principle is applied. The law of faith works the same way for everyone when it's applied. Faith is a law. There's a law of faith. The law of the Old Testament was works. I always say they're on the lollipop principle. If they did good, they got a lollipop. <laughs> In the New Testament, the law of the New Testament is faith. Faith appropriates the grace that activates the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's a law. It works every single time. Life is ours every time we believe the word. Every time. Now, I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about in my heart. The law of faith. Exercising authority. It's pretty simple when you boil it down to this. Exercising authority is making a demand of faith. We don't demand anything from God. You understand? We don't have that kind of power. But we do have the authority to make a demand on God's provision that he's already announced in his word. He's already made the provision. You remember used to when there was a service merchandise? Everybody remember service merchandise, right? When you went up to the counter, you bought something, you pulled a little slip out, you walked up to the cash register. You gave it to the lady or the man. They rang it up. You gave them the money. You remember what they gave you there? A piece of paper called a demand slip. It was a demand slip. Whoever has the demand slip can now walk over to the other side and make a demand. That's what faith is. The price, the purchase has already been paid. We have a demand slip. It's the word of God. As service merchandise, you could take this demand slip, you could give it to your son or your daughter and say, go for their honey and, the, and give this to them and they will give it to you because you have the demand slip. That's the operation of faith. When you get that demand slip in your hand, it's, the, you know, it's too bad they don't have those anymore. You, you just went over there and there was never a doubt about whether or not that thing was going to come sliding down those little rollers. Because why? You made the demand for something that was already paid for. 
That is what faith is. If I put money in my bank account, if I want to withdraw that money, I have to sign a demand document to get it out. Either a check, or I can do it online, but it's still a demand document. I have to, I have to do that. The cash from my bank account never just automatically appears in my hand. Even though the money is mine, I have to make a demand for it. I have that, That's what faith is. It, is. it is when you exercise authority, you act in faith, you make a demand on what is already yours. Making a demand. That's how we have authority. If we understand that the devil has already been defeated, that I have authority over him, over all of his power, that he is under my feet, I can make the demand. That's authority. I don't even have to pray about it. And it's something, the scripture says, believers will lay hands on the sick. It doesn't say and they'll pray for them. It says they'll recover. Now, James says the prayer of faith will save the sick. It doesn't say it's the elder's prayer of faith. It just says the prayer of faith. The elder anoints. I don't know who prays the prayer of faith. Hopefully it's the elder. But believers lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We make a demand. We have to learn how to walk in faith based on what God says. We have this demand document. I love it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's a foolish thing sounding. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And those things of the world and things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. It says, this is how God chose it. That's how it works. Three times it says God chooses it. In Romans 4, 17, it says, God, God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. God makes a demand. Remember Genesis chapter 1? Light be. He made a command. He didn't say sun be. Didn't say stars and moon be. He said light be. And so light became way before the sun came. Well, three days before the sun. Four days before the sun. But light became because God made a demand by faith. He calls for things. He calls for things that are not as though they were. He calls for them. That's how we exercise authority. That's how we use our faith. Listen, the faith must be in my heart, and I've got to believe the things that I say. Here's a problem that many Christians have, and you're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We don't believe what we say. We don't believe what we say. We say things like, well, that just kills me. That tickles me to death. I hate it when that happens. Do we believe that? No, we don't believe that. We don't believe it's going to tickle us to death. Or, you know, that scared me half to death. Or what did we say? But Jesus said if we believe the things we say, we have convinced ourselves over and over again that the things we say really aren't going to come to pass. And so when it comes to the point of saying the scripture, we're already trained to not believing our words. We need to learn how to say what we mean and mean what we say. We need to learn how to say it and say what we believe. I know I just stepped on everybody's toes, including my own. But our words are so important because that's how we make the demand. 
We make the demand by saying things that we believe. Listen, we make the demand for God's provision. Now, there's no power in denial. We don't say, I'm not sick, if we're sick. But we make a demand for what we don't have, healing. Okay, When, we, when we're in lack, we don't say, I have no lack. We make a demand for the provision that God calls for us. You see, we need to understand that, that, that prayer changes things, but not if we don't make a demand of faith. We've got to learn how to speak in authority. Exercising authority is operating in faith by calling for what the Lord has already promised us in His Word. He's already promised us. Let me close with this with a story that I ran across this week. Everybody knows who Smith Wigglesworth is, right? Okay, well, one time Smith Wigglesworth was standing at a street corner waiting for a bus. A woman came out of an apartment house and his little dog ran out behind her. She said to the dog, Honey, you're going to have to go back. And the dog didn't pay any attention to her. He just wagged his tail and rubbed up against her affectionately. And she said, now, dear, you have to go back. The little dog wagged his tail and rubbed up against her again. About that time, the bus arrived. It's time for the woman to get on the bus. So she stomped her foot and she said, get! The dog tucked his tail and he ran off into the house. Smith Wigglesworth he is reported saying that he hollered out loud, even without thinking, that's the way you've got to do with the devil. As long as we're petting him and saying, now, honey, you got to go, he's not going to go. When we make the demand, he has to obey. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we want to be people who exercise authority. Lord, we don't want to be people who are intimidated by anything the enemy does. We want to be those who make the demand of faith. Lord, if you call us and we know it's in your promise and we know we're supposed to say, Son, stand still. We want to be those kind of people. Lord, we want to be those kind of people who when the enemy says it's impossible and it can't be done, we'll speak and say, Yes, it will be done because that's what God called us to do. Lord, we make the demand of faith not based on what we want but based on what your word has promised us. We believe you. We receive from you. We don't understand everything that goes on around us But God, we understand that you've called us to walk and operate in supernatural authority. God, we give you thanks and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.